bless the Lord. Let's turn to the scriptures, please. Again, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. My lips left out a, a short reading. Verse 1. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Tell you what, let's go down to verse 15. 13, I'm all over the place, 13. Philippians 3, verse 13, we'll cut things out. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. We have looked at two mornings, and I want to continue this morning at one word. uh, That is in in the Greek New Testament, one word, but how it changes and where uh, the wonderful sense of the Greek text is in our scriptures in English. And Paul, Paul says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Before we go any further, let's look at this word count. Brethren, I count. Just for a moment, give you a, a recap and a reminder. And maybe you weren't here the last couple of Sunday mornings. It's just so as you'll get it into your spirit this morning and you'll understand where we're coming from. The word count here is a word, logizome. And it gives the idea of uh, something that is a, a fact. It's not an opinion and it's not a supposition. It's a finished, calculated, if you want, counted, reckoned conclusion. Paul had looked at many things and he says, Brethren, there's, I have looked at the things of God. I have been caught up, as it were, to the, the third heaven and given things that were unlawful to speak of. I have been in the deserts of Arabia, fellowshipping with God for three years, even when the apostles of the Lamb, as it were, originally were unwary of me, and I I sort of done a a sideline away for a while. God took me into a wilderness to show me glories. Now, I know what Paul's saying here, brother, sister, this morning, at times when we go into a, a barren, dry desert place, wherever you can liken that or akin that onto, it doesn't mean God's fell out with you if you're sick. It doesn't mean God's fell out with you if you're feeling barren and dry and and so on. Because it's in those places, the valley experience, it's in the Patmos where John was, where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's in those places at times where the devil means it for evil. God always works it out for the good. Always. And we can't understand when we are looking at things in our lives. Why is this happening and why is that happening and why is the other thing uh, continuing on and God seems so far away. I seem like I'm in my own desert, wilderness, Patmos Isle, Arabia, whatever you want to call it. And, and I'm in this situation. I'm looking at loved ones or whatever. Lord, you fell out with me and the answer is absolutely not. The Lord loves you, you're his child. 
He does not place things on you to do you hurt or harm. The devil's a bad devil and places things on you to do you harm. But in those times, God can use the devil as his instrument. That is, he may step back and let the devil do his worst. One old Puritan said, the devil is God's ape. In other words, the devil does what he's told. He's not your master. He's not in control, as Christians say. Oh, the devil's busy. He may well be, but God is omnipresent. He is omnipotent and he is omniscient. In other words, God is everywhere. He's all-powerful and all-knowing. And he knows exactly where each and every one of you are. In your experience with him, in your walk with him. And at times, yes, God may chastise. But God is always in charge. God is always in control. God is always on the throne. He is sovereign at all times, or he is not sovereign at all. Our God is a sovereign Lord. And whenever you feel that you're in that place of wilderness experience, the valley, or wherever it may be, your own personal Patmos side, God can use that experience, brother. God may use that experience, sister, to commune with you when everything else is put away from you. John on the Isle of Patmos is on a barren isle, hard labour prison uh, camp it was. It wasn't as if he went to Ibiza or Tenerife or Majorca or the Caribbean islands or somewhere and had a nice time. And you say, well, I wouldn't mind if God put me there somewhere for a while. I wouldn't mind being cast away even by the Roman Caesar if it was like that. It may have been warm at times, but it was a, it was a, a prison camp. And sometimes in our prison camps, we think all is gone, all is lost, and God has left me, God has fallen out with me, and I have no help, I have no hope, and this is my life, and so I just have to rest and sit under this, and that's the way it is. Full story, or full stop, end of story. And we tend to sit under that, but that's not what God tells you. God tells you in his word that he loves you. God tells you in his word that you belong to him. God tells you in his word that he will not leave you nor forsake you. He will not cast you away. That no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. God tells you that. And you must count those things up and come to a full calculated conclusion that you belong to him in these situations. I know from personal experience, for I'm like you, going through hard times, going through the valley, going through the wilderness, seemingly in the desert that's dry and lifeless and hopeless and barren, never-ending, and you get tired and weary and stressed and frightful at times and anxious. And We're all the same. We all go through it. But one thing we must fully conclude is this, that our God is in control and you belong to him if you're a child of God. It was in Arabia, where it is believed that Paul learnt many of the wonderful things that we read in the Corinthian letters and in the letters to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, to Timothy, and so on. And it's in that area, in that time, that God can use that to really close you in with himself. You see, there's things in our lives that we allow 
to take the place of God. Let me say it again. There's things in our lives that we allow to take the place of God. In other words, Christ comes second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, hundredth place down the list that we have. And, and it's in that time we, we try and search for him when all of these things that are piled on top of him in our lives have uh, swamped him over, uh, cut him out, pushed him to the side. And when it all seems to go belly up, going wrong, we don't know what to do. And all these things we once held dear seem rocky and shaky and they really do not satisfy the way we thought they would satisfy. It's then we look for God and we say, well, where is he here? And it's in that time when all those things are pushed away, whether it's Patmos, Arabia, your wilderness, your desert experience, that God really has you to himself. Do you realize that he loves you so much that God wants you to himself? I want to say it again because you need to get it into you and let it be settled and calculated in your own heart. God loves you so much. He wants you to himself. He wants you to love him because he's first loved you. Paul says, I count myself to have apprehended. The word logizome is, gives the idea, Paul looked at everything from every angle And he counted it all up and he said, I count myself to have apprehended or I count myself now to fully have calculated, concluded, it is settled and set in my mind and in my heart once and for all is this. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Paul says, I'm concluded, this is what I must do. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize. For the high calling on God and Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that no matter what, no matter the past, no matter who's done what, who said what, no matter what, no matter what tries to hold him back or someone who tries to dig up his past when he slew the Christians or put them in prison, Can you imagine his testimony and going around in groups of maybe believers saying, oh, we don't really want you here, Paul, because we're not sure about you. Someone digging up the past about Paul, digging up about the time he he was a human clothes hanger or a cloakroom attendant when he watched the clothes, the garments of those who stoned Stephen the martyr to death. A young Saul who became Paul had all the clothes at his feet and he stood there holding them, watching over the clothes, partaking in the slaying of the first recorded martyr of the scriptures of the New Testament. Can, can you imagine what must have been dug up in Paul's life? Yet Paul is, is the one who speaks to us and speaks, tells us of the grace of God. Anyone who has come to know the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, and the love of God, they will realize, now I want to tell you about my God. Because grace is how we cope. To put it in in other words, grace is how we get through. 
Grace is how we keep on going on with God. We're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. But it's the grace that every day in our lives, in our human existence and experience, that you feel. When we were singing, uh, Thou art holy. And I was praying and, uh, when Gary and the team were leading us in that, and Thou art holy, Thou art holy, we were singing and And I was praying, saying, Lord, holiness belongs to you alone. It's holiness unto the Lord. Holiness belongeth to the Lord alone. In other words, there's nothing in me that is holy but the Holy Ghost. There's nothing in you that is holy but the Holy Ghost. And in other words, it is he who is in us causes us to live a holy lifestyle. But in our flesh, we fail and we fall, we falter all the time. But it is the grace of God. In other words, God reaching down in kindness and stooping to us almost afresh and anew and residing, living in our hearts says, you know I still love you. Oh, I've failed you, Lord. Oh, I can't come before you, Lord. Oh, I can't pray, Lord, for I'm so unworthy. And listen, if we were to calculate it and count it up ourselves and look at each other, I would say, yes, we are unworthy. Yes, we should not be getting into his presence. But we don't look at it through human eyes. We look at it through the eyes of God. And God says, you are worthy. You are able. Yes, you can Because I love you. My son died for you. And he paid the penalty. Let's count these things up. As Paul says, I've counted. He looked at every angle. Let's look at every angle and have it completely, fully, totally calculated, counted and settled in our hearts and our minds. That we can only come through the blood of Jesus and in the grace of God. But that's what stands us forever. That's what keeps us in good standing for all eternity. Paul says, I'll set everything down that would mar, hinder, hold back, or a backsetting to me, no matter what's cast up from my past. If I ask you to be honest and hold your hand up, do you have a past? Unless you're the year you're just born about five seconds ago, every one of us have a past. Some pasts are manifest more than others in the sense of sin. And I put my hand up, I'm one of those men. But when I come to Christ, that then are his spirit drew me. And I seen the Lamb of God by faith bearing away my sin, dying in my place, hanging on a cross, shedding his blood, paying my penalty and my debt. I said that is enough for me. And he washed me by faith in the blood of Jesus once and for all. I don't do anything. I don't pay anything. All I do is receive by faith. And I'm in right standing with God. Turn with me to the book of Romans, please. Turn with me to the book of Romans. If you wanted to hear other things on the subject of this word, then I would advise you to maybe see Denise and She's got nice new CD covers. She designed it. I also designed it herself. And she's done a great job. You can ask her to give you CDs of the last two Sunday mornings or, or you can download it if you're online. 
Let's turn to Romans 4, please. Romans 4. We looked at this last week, but I want to go, I'll just skip across these the best I can. Can't go into a full study on this. This would take a week or two on its own self. What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh had found? For if Abraham were justified by works, notice, and works today can be alms and deeds and sacraments and ceremonies and other sacrifices, whether it, whether it be a sacrifice of, of giving, sacrifice of, of, of working, sacrifice of door wrapping, a sacrifice of a mass, no matter what that work is, no matter what it is, notice this, for if Abraham were justified by works, or just as if he had never sinned through his works, he hath wore off the glory. In other words, Abraham could glory in it. But not before God, for what saith the scripture? Notice, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now unto him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Now the word reckoned is the word logizome. In other words, Paul saying, Now unto him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. There's a picture here of a man or a woman, and let's put it into our own cells. You get up on the Monday morning, tomorrow morning, you get yourself ready, you go to a place of work, and you do a full day's work. And then the week passes after you do so many shifts or days or whatever, and the boss comes with your wage and puts it in your hands. You see, as soon as you work, the boss becomes your debtor. Now let me say it again. As soon as you work, your boss becomes your debtor. In other words, he owes you so many hours wages, pay. He owes you so many days or whatever it is, your boss becomes your debtor. Or the job you're working for, it becomes, that company becomes your debtor. Now if your boss is your debtor because you've been working, You have a a legal right and a moral right to go to your boss at the end of the week and stick out your hand and say, where's my wage? He's a debtor. And Paul gives the idea here of a worker who works and comes to God and says, I deserve heaven. I deserve the kingdom. I deserve to be in your presence. Paul says, now if you're working like that, you're glorying in yourself. He says, but then it's not of grace. For the second picture in this one verse is this. That if your boss comes to you someday and he walks down to you and he says, you know, I want you to take a week off. And here's your week's wage and a bonus for you. And maybe you need a few pounds in case you go on holidays. Take that too. But I don't deserve this. I haven't worked for it. And I don't deserve the bonus because I haven't done anything outstanding or or, or extraordinary for it. That's the idea of it. And that's called grace. It's freely given to you. Freely given. You don't work for it. You don't, you don't do alms for it. You don't do deeds for it. It's freely given. And so you take the money. Now, if I ask you something, how many of us would say to your boss, if he asked you, do you want a week off work and would you like your full pay and a bonus and a few pound extra in case you want to go on holidays? Hands up, who would say, no, thank you? Just as a thought, not a hand. This is what 
it is like in human terms, in human economy, in this world's economy, and we would receive and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, boss. By the way, if you would like to give me a week off work, and you and a full wage pay, and you'd like to give me a bonus, and you'd maybe like to send me away on holidays, I won't say no either. <laughs> I probably would actually, you know, but... We would say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And take it. And run with it. We're off, we're away. <laughs> Wouldn't we? Well, how many people has God offering his grace to this morning? And you're saying, there must be a catch. What must I do? Those who are unsaved, what must I do? The Christian who feels have let the Lord down, well, surely I must come in broken glass and bended knee. Remember the hurry shirt, you know, just to annoy us. Lord, see how I'm wearing a hurry shirt and going to hide in the cave for a month to make it up to you. God says, listen, it's all free. I don't want you to do anything. Receive. Believe. That's grace. That's how he feels about you this morning. Paul says, if you're working, then it's reckoned unto you, you have a legal and a moral right, and God becomes a debtor. But God is no man's debtor. God gives freely of his grace. Let's read down quickly another few verses. Verse 5, let's read it again. But to him that worketh, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, His faith is counted for righteousness. Notice, well, I believe you. I'm taking it. I'm accepting it. You've died for me. You've shed your blood for me. That's enough for me. And it's it's accounted for righteousness. You're right before the God then. Believing in Christ. Verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth imputeth righteousness without work, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now notice verse 6 here and verse 8, the word impute. David describeth the blessedness of the man whom God imputeth righteousness without works. See the word imputeth, you know what the word is there? Look, it's me, the word for reckoned. The word for count. In other words, God looks at you, sees you in your sin. You accept what Christ has done for you by faith. So then God looks at you and he sees you in his son and he counts up all that his son has done and he sees you righteous. Isn't that so simple? But so profound. He counts it up. God comes to a finished, calculated, settled conclusion when he looks at you in his son. And the devil comes and he says, as it were, uh, uh, just using a a spiritual imagination, if you want, or a sanctified imagination, the, the old devil, the accuser of the brethren comes and he'll say, look at Ken Davidson. Sure, he's not perfect. The father may examine me 
But he knows in his own heart and mind that he's come to a finished, settled, calculated conclusion that I'm in his son, that I'm trusting in his blood. And he looks at me and the devil goes, see his sin? Can you see his sin? And the father looks at me and he says, what sin? I don't see any sin. I'm righteous in Christ. I haven't done anything for it. And yet the only thing in me, the only thing off me that is holy is the Holy Ghost who lives in me and in you. Notice this. The word impute is logizomi, to count, to reckon, to calculate, to compute. And David is describing the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness to. In other words, you and I have a lot to shout about. You and I have a lot to rejoice over. You and I have something that should cause us to, as it were, swing from the, the lights and cartwheel up and down the middle if you wanted to. I don't want you to, like, you know, but if. I'm trying to give you an idea, an expression here. The blessedness is here, it gives the idea of, of a, a, a prosperity. It's the word makarios. And it means the prosperous soul of that man. Oh, how blessed he is. Because God looks at him and sees him righteous. And it's settled in God's mind that you're righteous for Jesus' sake. And that's something that you and I should be saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, when we're singing, we'll not stand with a mealy mouth, nor will we stand with our hands hanging down and all the, all the things that come upon us, Lord. And Lord, I can't come into your presence and I don't know I've failed you. And yes, sure, join the club of all failed him. We are in abundant grace. A grace is abounding over our sin. You're justified in the sight of God and righteous before your Father. That's something that you're blessed with and it speaks of spiritual prosperity of a man and of a woman. You and I have a condition before God and it's called righteousness because we are in Christ. The second time it's used, time's almost gone, so bear with me. In verse 7, blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not impute sin. It's the same again. Now, this isn't a condemnation here. This is a, a, a genuine question I ask you to count up two logids of me, to come to a calculated, settled conclusion, to think about it, think of every angle of it, even go home and think about it. Here's the question. As Christians, you and I should know what it's like to have our sins forgiven. The sense of it, the relief of it, the knowledge of it, the joy of it. And if we are that man and woman, I know what it was like the night I got saved. Brought from a life of alcohol and drugs and so on. You know the story and a lot more. 
I know the relief of knowing that I had been forgiven for much. That relief, the burden lifted off me. And I know the blessedness of it. When the Lord did not look at all the things I'd been up to that no one knows about, the things that I got myself into, the things that I shouldn't have been doing and the places I had been and the way my thoughts and my mouth, my actions took me and everything to do it, even my own very corrupt nature that we all have from Adam. And, and, and I, look, I, I could look at it and say, wow, and how could you save a man like that? And let's be honest, how can you save someone like that? God doesn't bother with those people. God could look at it and sum it up and his wrath could be hanging over me waiting for judgment. But instead his grace found me. His grace found you. And he did not add it all up to slay me. He did not add it all up to damn me. He did not add it all up to cast me into hell. He added it all up and put it under the blood of his son. Now here's the question I wanted to ask. That sense of forgiveness of sin, burden lifted. Brother and sister, now think about it. Do you remember it? It doesn't mean to say you have to have a lifestyle like I had. What about the, the knowledge that you give your life to Christ as a young person and that joy of not imputing anything to you, even at a young age? Because remember, we're all born in sin and shape and iniquity. All of us are. But kept through a life where we've been kept away from those things that I wasn't kept away from. God is a lot if he wanted to. I mean an awful lot if he wanted to, to dig up on my behalf. If God wanted to, he could have shown me an awful lot that would have made me cringe. As one old Puritan says, that if every man's sins were written upon his forehead, it would make him pull his hat down over his face. Don't look at it. But God saw a wasted life. A sinner on the road to hell. And he counted it all up and he said, I love him. Don't ask me why, but he did. And he drew me to his son, to Calvary. And he had placed all my debt on the cross of Christ. And he showed me by faith this one hanging bleeding and dying and said, now if you believe in him, if you trust in him alone, don't do any works. Don't even try it. Don't bring it to the table. The old Puritan says, any addition added to Christ is a destructive addition. Don't try to destroy what Christ has done. Don't try to destroy the blood of Jesus by adding and saying, there must be a catch 
Here's your wage if you want to go on holiday. Here's your wage if you want to take a week off work and we take it. But we can't take by grace through faith the very blood of Jesus Christ. We can't take the gift of God and say, it's enough for me. We have to try and work it out and say, surely I must do something else. Surely there's a catch. Surely there's more to this than meets the eye. And the truth is, God says, it's free. And it's for you. Don't try and work for it, he says. And I says, Lord, well, I have nothing left. Body racked with sickness. Eternal bleeding. Homeless. Body racked with drugs. Shaking from the effects of the alcohol and the drugs that day. And I remember by faith sitting saying, if you can do anything with this, speaking of myself, with this, I have no money. I have no strength. I don't even have a home, Lord. I don't know why you'd want me, but if you can do anything with this, take me and do what you will. Doctors were saying, you know, you're killing yourself. Couldn't help myself. Killing yourself. I says, take it and do whatever you will. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. The Holy Ghost came on me that night. Sweat ran, loused on me from the head to the toes, wringing wet, I mean, through my suit, soaking wet. And I got up shaking and I thought, great, I've given my life to the Lord and I'm going to die. At least I'm ready. Why did he want someone like that, some waster like that? Why did he want him sitting there who no one else could have had the time of day except for my buddies that I went to the pubs and the clubs and the, the shabines with? Why would he look at someone like that? You know why? Because it was grace. Grace found me, a man who was bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road. And grace found me. Grace has found you too. Now did Christ save me and say, there's enough grace on that. You fall out with me or you, you fail me or you falter in the way. I expect you to be totally perfect and understand everything. Now off you go. No, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when you fall, I will pick you up again, son. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. And when you're in your Arabia and your Patmos, your desert or your valley or your experience, wherever you're going through, his strength is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect. In your weakness. Paul says, David says, you're blessed. I was blessed and you're blessed. He says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And I'm so blessed, it's enough to make me be the, what would I say, in an Ulster term, the Egypt that I am. Paul called himself a fool for Christ. Well, I'm an Egypt for Christ. I'm not an Egypt, but I'm an Egypt for Christ. In other words, everything I do, you see me walking up and down there, like, use the word again, the Egypt, 
shouting and bawling and carrying on, shouting and praising with my hands in the air, shouting, come on, let's worship him and praise him. And, oh, Jesus, I love you and I worship you. Can you blame me? Because I couldn't blame you if you could, if you would do that either. I wouldn't blame you if you started shouting to the rooftops every meeting, Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. For all that he's done for my life. And for yours. He has not imputed, counted up my sin, every single one of them even the ones I don't know are committed and placed them on me for judgment. He placed them on his son and he carried them away. They're thrown into the depths of the sea and there's no fishing put up. You're not allowed to fish. Paul says, I count myself not to have apprehended. There's a lot I don't know, but this I'm settled and calculated and concluded in my heart and life and it will not change. He says that I belong to him and I'm pressing on in God. God bless his word this morning.